Hello everybody, welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. My guest today is Robert Moses, Artistic Director of Robert Moses Kin, which is a long-standing Bay Area dance company that is committed to presenting high-quality dance work in the city of San Francisco. And since the quarantine that has understandably driven so much dance work underground, Robert Moses and his company have been hard at work producing video content for all the lovely viewers out in the world who don't get a chance to have that wonderful, amazing art in their lives. So back in March, they released For Our Students, For Our Schools, which was originally released in collaboration with the San Francisco Unified School District. And on June 28th, they released Untitled Elegy, a video piece that was filmed at the Palace of Fine Arts. They are planning to continue to do what they are calling RMK around the Bay for every month this year, releasing a new video dance piece. So you can check them out on Instagram at Robert Moses Kin or on their website at robertmoseskin.org. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Robert. How are you? Thanks for sitting down with me. Sure. uh, My pleasure. My pleasure. I've heard a lot about your company and your work, and I um, am interested to talk to you about the piece that you put together with your dancers to support the San Francisco Unified School District. How did the idea to make a piece to support the school district come about? You know, I was I was talking to uh, my wife about it, and I don't actually remember, because someone else asked that question, and I don't actually remember how it came about, except to say that, uh, you know, we have two kids, and I think my wife mentioned that there was, the term that people are using is food insecure, or the providing uh, meals for your kids, that's even more challenging. And uh, so we were talking about it a little bit, and somehow during the course of our conversation, it just came up that a thing that we could do is to try to help raise money for the school district. Since we have kids in the school district, we know some folks in the, uh, in the administrative um, uh, portions of the, of the system. We thought, well, why don't we just try to do this? This would be an easy thing for us to do to try to help out. That doesn't really answer your question, but that's, that's, <laughs> that's as close as I can get. No, that's a wonderful answer. And so was there a direct um, collaboration or consulting of the school district itself? Or was this sort of an independent effort? Well, what we did, what we, no, 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 no. The school district, uh, the um, SPARC, which is the fundraising arm of, of the school district that we were working with, they were very much a part of sort of figuring out how to make sure that the platform worked and that we were becoming very clear with them about that we wanted none of the funds from this to go to RMK at all. We just wanted the funds to go directly to the school district. So there were no funds that came to us. So what we did was we worked with them to make sure that it was in line with their uh, programmatic and fundraising goals. You know, they have very large threshold uh, sort of, I think they're trying to, at this point, since everything has really gone south, 
they're trying to raise about six million dollars and i think it may have uh, that uh, the district may be in, in a little more trouble than they were and so they may even be trying to raise more than that i think what we're doing is probably a, a drop in the bucket from there but but hopefully it will help. And so, no, they were they were a very central part to sort of getting the platform up and going. But the, the artistic part of it was just us, the, you know, RMK, the dancers, uh, and me. Gotcha. Well, yeah, it certainly is a all-hands-on-deck scenario. And I think it's great that there is this collaboration between dance companies, but really just artistic groups in the city with local education and government were there any benefits that yeah absolutely can I, let me let me just say this i think really that is a way to go with this whole thing because we're all going to be sort of the whole country maybe the world to a certain extent we're all going to be struggling to figure out how to make create models that really work for us and in a way we have to both close loops and open them and so in sort of making sure that the some of the funds that are already sort of in the city and we and we're sort of leveraging those to help organizations that are already in the process of sustaining people's education, health and their welfare, then we are helping ourselves sort of automatically. So I think that that model of sort of direct uh, rather than sort of rather than only sort of saying this is uh, built toward the future, but doing what you can do directly and helping uh, as much as we can now with the issues of health and welfare now really that's sort of the way to go i mean we've we've all been in the schools teaching to a certain degree we've all mentored folks to a certain degree and all those things are fantastic but this situation calls for something slightly different and this may be one of the ways to go i'm sure there are others i'm sorry i didn't mean to cut you off yeah not at all i think it's a super important point and has as much to offer for you know, artistic groups trying to get work out there in this time period as much as it does for every individual who wants to contribute to the reconstruction, if you will. Were there any particular benefits or um, or conversely red tape that you had to or got to navigate <laughs> working with the school district? No, no, no I mean, look... <laughs> No, there, I think there, there's there's always uh, something that comes up when you're trying to do something new, right? So it's so if you you start working with one portion of an organization, and it's got more than one person running it, then they always have to check with someone else about getting something going. So yeah, things might move a little slower than if you were just to uh, make decisions by fiat, but you would expect that with with an organization that's trying to raise. Uh, six million dollars mm-hmm. right so you expect that uh you know but yeah but there are also huge benefits uh to us i mean there's a, a huge uh different audience or patron base that we might be reaching even though we're not asking them for anything they sort of know about who we are now because it's because we've we're in the process of trying to help in a different way i we had already in the process of our budgeting and programmatic activities had already planned to do something during that month. And so the dancers were expecting to be paid for that month, but we didn't have a venue anymore. So what we just did was we switched the venue from a live venue, which I think at that point was either Joe Good or might've been in the East Bay. I'm not sure which venue it was, but we switched the venue to being online. And then what I was able to do was by making the video, we're able to pay the dancers for the hours that they were expecting for that period of time and produce a video, which is an artifact. You know, we did it very quickly, but it's an artifact that's there. And so it helps to sort of keep our budget in line. We had that expenditure there. And so just to sit on it 
and have the dancers not be paid and have to, you know, miss a week or two while they waited for unemployment or something like that would, you know, it was like that wasn't going to serve anybody. So that that it actually helped us to have a buffer to sort of say, okay, dancers, we're going to move forward. We're going to make this happen in some way. That way you can have, a, a you know, another week or two to plan for this this hiccup of this uh, the COVID. I don't, did that make sense? Absolutely. And as a dancer, I certainly appreciate the idea of getting the weeks of pay that you were considering, you know, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, I think if you live in this city, mm. uh, San Francisco, and you're an artist or a dancer or something like that, if you, I mean, missing a week or two weeks of uh, something that you plan, because dancers, the way this works, I mean, you know how this works, you're a dancer. The way this works is most people sort of cobble together their employment and somehow they, they make it work, right? So you work for three different choreographers and then you maybe you've got another job that you do that's uh, an internet job or maybe you wait tables or something and you finally get something put together that's semi-comfortable. You kind of have a life. You got to have some friends. All these all these things are going, you're like, okay, I'm good now. I have a, I have a network and then boom, everything's gone. So you have to try to, you have to try to make people comfortable at least they're not com- comfortable would be the wrong word in this situation but soften the yeah but it also addresses this broader question for the industry which i'm sure you've devoted a lot of thought to of like you said moving forward as opposed to just sitting on what we have i know a lot of dance companies are going the route of releasing old performance footage or figuring out how to keep audiences engaged while they're waiting to get back in the studio but i think it's so great that y'all made something new in a new format and i'm very curious to hear how the rehearsal process went and how you were able to view and shape the dancers performances well they okay this is a great question and someone else asked this question so there at this point there we've been putting out some old material as you said sort of revamping and revising some old material with some new sounds and so we're taking the idea of the remix with the old material and putting that out in some way so even though it's not exactly new there's some things that people haven't seen in quite that way so new new sound remixed material so that's one of the things we're doing the other thing we're doing is this new material so one of the things you saw is the the benefit for the schools and we're doing something else that's new we just did a an outside uh, site-specific performance or sorry site-specific shoot site-specific shoot at um the palace of fine arts and we're editing that together now and that thing will that should be out sometime this month probably before the end of the month maybe by the first and we'll see what that is and that's going to be all it's going to be all new music and all new dancing. And so our plan for the year was to do is we had something called RMK around the Bay. And our plan for the year was to do a, a new piece every month uh, for 12 to 18 months to sort of reintroduce ourselves to an audience that is changing. And so we're still trying, we're trying to stick with that plan, but now it's just a different kind of thing. We just have to reconfigure what that is. So we're working with a lot of, working with a lot of prompts. I'm making a lot of the sound. Fortunately, we can do that. And then we're, we're leaning on the skills of the dancers to keep everything going. So one of the dancers is going to be editing it. Someone is working in the office administratively to keep things going. Even though we, we, we don't see each other regularly, we see each other over the, or see each other, we speak over the phone. 
and uh, Zoom, of course. And so everyone's sort of taking on different roles to sort of move these things forward. Now, when you say, how do you coach them? Part of the what goes on is that you know the dancers that you work with. This is why I don't just audition people. You sort of want to have an idea of who they are. So they have to come to class and you have to get to know them. So that when I give you a prompt, uh, even if I give a general prompt like this last thing, I give a general prompt, I have an idea of how you might respond to something because I've given it to you. So if you and I have a conversation, we don't really know each other, but if you and I have a conversation and we've been talking for a month or two, I'll probably have a pretty good idea of your cadence, your syntax, all that. And so I'll have a pretty good idea, depending on what I say to you, or what you might, the way in which at least you say something back to me. So what I do is I give very specific instructions around actions and limbs and energy and approaches and rhythm. I give that to the dancers and I have an understanding of what their inclinations are. And then they send that back to me. And then we decide to uh, edit all of those things together in relationship to my aesthetic. So that's the way that's the way that's happening right now. And so right now the plan is to still to do a new piece a month. It's still to make sure that I, uh, that uh, the audience, which is now the world knows who we are and that we're out there and we're doing this thing and that we're not going to be stuck. Cause artists aren't going to be stopped by this. We're not going to be stopped by this. We just have to figure out how to do it. Now, the tough part is the tough part is what was happening before with our sort of engagement of the live audiences that we were in front of people and we were able to say to them, listen, you may have paid 20 or 25 or $30, maybe $35 to come and see us live, but please also donate to us. Our issue now is that when we do this, when we generate these funds, we don't have a direct line, uh, a direct one for one. You give us, $30 and we'll give you an hour and a half of performance. Now it's like we're making this thing and we really just need you to to sort of chip in if you can. That's the hard part. We haven't quite quantified that yet, but we'll get there as well. I mean, it is so interesting to consider how these funding structures are going to change over time. But in terms of your process and working with the dancers, how quickly did this sort of decentralized process produce the dance film oh that was we had the materials in about a week because you have to give you have to give the day well, you give you give dancers a couple of days to sort of take in what they have and to generate the material and then they'll start sending it back to you sort of in a, it fits and starts and so you usually get the material back within say a week it, or even less than that it doesn't take long to get the material back what uh it takes a while is to sort of figure out what to do with it and, and how to get it up so it that doesn't take much i mean and if you're in the postmodern even ballet then the sort of non-direct choreographic modes or ways of operating are not new. This is just a challenge. I mean, Remy Charlotte, what, 40, 50 years ago, uh, did postcard dances, right? So he sent postcards to people and he made dances from them 40 or 50 years ago. So it, this is not, it's not new. It's just that we are so addicted to each other, right? So what we do in this world, right? We are, I mean, you know, when we got together yeah. at the Palace of Fine Arts, we all looked at each other like, oh my God, thank goodness we're actually, we, we know we can't touch, but we're in the same space and I can actually see you sweating it. And definitely right, and so that that whole thing of that addiction of to the other person, to the experience, to to sweating, to moving across the floor with other people, to that sort of choral sense of working together towards something, is more difficult to achieve, and it's not there in the same way. But it can be there if we know we have this project and we're trying to get this thing up and going. That we know 
if everyone does what's on the paper, that we know that everyone on, on the fifth count of the 17th measure, everyone's going to drop to the floor, it may be in different ways, but we'll understand that that is part of the choral thing and everyone's going to work towards that. So it's a different kind of understanding of sort of being together, but it's it's still there. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. As soon as I'm able to get back into a room and yell at people from the front of the room, I'm going to be right back there. Oh, but, yeah. you know, we have to figure out another way to feed. <laughs> we have to figure out another way to feed that part of ourselves. We really do, because you can't not do that. Definitely. And I mean, from a dancer perspective, I can assure you that all your dancers and the rest of the dance community will be right there with you when we can be. It's <laughs> <laughs> like we all have to. And I mean, this is why it's, there's such an explosion online. I mean, who knows how that online thing is going to wind up, but there's such an explosion online of people trying to take classes together. It's like anytime you look and you see someone showing their screen, it's not just them on screen or just the teacher on screen. There are as many people as possible on screen because people want to have that communal experience because that is part of what the dancing is. You, you're, it's your body alone, but you're sharing it with people. And in in a way that can't be quantified in any other way than the experience. And so that is, that's what we're all hoping to get back. In the meantime, though, what has the reaction been to your online efforts? Has the community responded, been sharing, been donating? The community has been sharing and they're responding. The donating is not happening quite as much as we'd like it to. Right? I mean, we've, we've had some, a couple of nice donations and, you know, folks are sort of giving a little bit. But this is, you have to remember, the real difficult part of this is that regular income that we were all sort of counting on to get through the year. You do a long-term projection, your long-term projections for three to five years out and you plan on growth and you plan on all these other things and all of that goes away. So you've got essentially one stream of income or maybe two, maybe the foundations will help, which is a fantastic thing. The foundations of the city will help. But then the only stream you have really is the donations. You don't have the classes, you don't have performances, you don't have uh, merchandise, you don't have any of those things to sort of help buttress your bottom line. So people are doing what they can, but of course we all need more. We all need a lot more, to be perfectly honest. We don't want to act like we're golden here when we're kind of uh, brass. We're not tin. We're you know trying to get back up to that platinum place. Who are you looking to for inspiration in this moment, whether it's someone doing work right now or people from the past? Oh, I, I always look to people. I look to individuals and I'm doing a lot of, I'm reading a lot of poetry right now. I'm talking to family because it's, that's the most sort of direct connection to who you really are as a, as an individual in this play, in this time like this, when you feel like you can be disconnected from people. I'm walking a lot. I'm getting out as much as I can with a mask, of course, and trying to remember that, you know, it's not just four walls. I'm watching people right now. I'm looking out of my window and watching a woman walk her dog. And I look at that. The inspiration there is that that's a one living being trying to care for another living being. So I look for the small things and the big things that would trigger something in me at any time. But right now I'm reading a lot of poetry because poetry has so there's so much imagery and potency in that that it's not like having to get through a whole uh, sort of novel or something before you get the complete gist of something so. sure um any particular books or poets that you would recommend 
<laughs> I don't know. See, that's a that's a weird thing to say because because poetry sometimes people are like, oh my god, what are you, you're reading that guy? But yeah, sure. Right now I'm reading Joseph uh, Brodsky and Charles uh, Bukowski. You might not want to read Charles Bukowski if you've got a, a gentle stomach because he's a little he's a little rough. I'm going back through. Oh, my brain is going to uh, Langston Hughes, and you know I've got some volumes of the best American poetry of this that and the other year right now i've got 2019 i'm going through that and so those are that's what i'm reading right now for me it's about rhythm and image and i'm actually trying to pick up pick up some more of the technical aspects of that so in relationship to that i'm reading some robert robert pinsky and some other folks like that to sort of figure things out it hopefully doesn't sound as doesn't sound all highbrow it's just because i like read i like doing that right now i'm in that place and and often if you catch me at a different time i'm reading a comic book about i'm reading captain america because that's just it just depends on where i'm at right what, whatever is going to sort of move you to a place that you think is creative it's about finding something that's going to move you off of yourself or, and more deeply into yourself mm, that's a great way of putting it and certainly a lot of good recommendations there so, I mean, that seems like a major plank of one way that you're feeding your art during this time. But do you think that outside of the surface level disruptions of distribution, that this has had a big impact on your sense of artistic expression? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't. That's a great question. And I think I would answer it in this way. Most of us at some point figure out that we are most productive when we put limits on or uh, blinders on the work in some way. We start to focus down. We start sort of chopping things out of what we're doing. And what's happening now is that many or most or a lot of the distractions are gone. And so you have to really kind of go either I really am interested in this thing or I need to broaden out a little bit in terms of what it is that I'm working with that's a funny thing normally if you're if you're in that creative mode and you're you're stuffing images and you're stuffing people and sounds and smells into your into whatever your bag of i'm going to use this is then you let everything come in right now it's tough i mean unless unless the terrible horrible thing is unless you turn on the tv and you've got netflix hbo prime you've got all these things right and you're looking at all the stuff that's already been filtered and cut back like a bonsai tree, right? And you're looking at these things and they're just these manicured artistic expressions, right? And there's nothing in progress. And I think that's the worst way to go at figuring out where you want to go, how your process is going to adjust. So the only thing that's coming in that's cre- the only thing coming in creatively is sort of what's on the tube. That becomes difficult. That's why you want to pick up something and read something. And that's why you might want to go online and just type in, um, groundbreaking art or transgressive art or you want to look for something different that will shift you off of sort of the malaise sitting falling into malaise of uh watching what's on the tv or just sort of listening to the same music over and over again so yeah i think it shifts i mean it makes this current situation is making me look a little harder for things i'm interested in at the same time trying not to fall into a habit of just watching the stuff that's easy for me to like. So if they, if they, if there was a season 10 of the, the marvelous Ms. Major right now, I'd be, I'd be binging it. Cause I love that show. Right. I'm not sure if that's going to feed me artistically. Although I, I, you know, I love it. I think the actors are fantastic. So it's staying, staying inspired is actually work because you have to find things that keep watering the ground that you're on. Yeah, definitely. I will say for my part that, 
this effort at making a podcast very much came out of I don't know what to do, so I want to look <laughs> to people right yeah. now or people in the past who have also dealt with big world-shifting events and still managed to produce work. In this moment and looking towards the future, what do you see as your artistic purpose or your artistic responsibility? Wow, that's a, that's a heavy question. Uh, my purpose... I think that's different than like, I don't think you put artistic and purpose together in the way I think I hear you doing it. I have a purpose as a citizen, right? I mean, as a citizen, I have a purpose. As a human being, I have a purpose in that I'm responsible to other human beings. I'm responsible to make sure that I do what is, what's important and right for the people around me and the government and all that. That's different than have my artistic responsibility is to be true. If, if I can use that word, I don't think I want to use that word, but to be true to the, the place that I am in the moment. That's what that is. And then someone's like, I imagine you are, and a lot of people that I'm fortunate enough to know, if you we are lucky enough to find that thing that we love doing, and that is really a part of us in dancing, writing, making music, whatever those things are, choreographing, whatever those things are, then there's not necessarily a purpose in it. It's just a, a part of you that you're, and it's probably a subsufficient answer to the level of response that you want with a question like that. But it, but the question is, for me, it's enough to be that thing that you know that you are. You don't have to be something else. And the the idea of a purpose is that you're sort of str you're striving towards something else. And I think that's something that's outside of the artistic thing. You you can strive for something in your career. And as I said, as a citizen, you want you want to elect responsible people. And you know there are all kinds of ways to answer that question. But the question has to be attached to the response has to be attached to the appropriate question. Not at all. And um, in a world without distractions, there is this reckoning going on based between what we want to be or are striving to be versus who we are. And I think that's a very important distinction. Mm -hmm. I, li I like the way you put that. You said there's a reckoning. Yeah, and there is. There is a reckoning. When what people call the real world bumps up against the, the idealist in you and the idealist in us in a lot of ways, even if, you're, even if you're a melancholy artist or a fatalist artist or whatever, when the real world bumps up against that, it, that thing that's a part of you that is precious to you, that is that creative part of you, it's like, no, I just need to, just need to leave it alone. It's my flower. And I'm it's buried in this place and I don't want it disturbed. So you mentioned that you're trying to produce one work a month and uh, that schedule is hopefully continuing apace. Where will I or the audience be able to find that? It's in that, and now we get to go back to the office. That's the thing. We're trying to figure out the right <laughs> platforms to do those things. We're going to be teasing them on Instagram and YouTube a little bit. Uh, we're using Vimeo now because it's a as a platform through which we can, as a not for profit, uh, use their their commercial mechanisms to raise funds. Or you know our funding mechanisms, which are GoFundMe and things like that. All of those things. We're going to be everywhere that we can be. I'm trying to grow this thing because a friend of mine also said the thing that's interesting and great about this moment is that it's really leveled the playing field, right? That the huge guys got as shocked by this as the little guys. And the huge guys might have uh, the name and might have a way to sort of try to 
spin up more quickly. But if someone in Lithuania is online looking for something interesting and new, and they tap into San Francisco, then it's just possible that they might find us when we would have never seen them ever in life. So it's possible, of course, that our audiences could grow by leaps and bounds and if, if we're able to sustain that. So that's what we're hoping to do, is to be everywhere as, as much as possible and hope to put as much as possible out there that's interesting to people and get keep them coming back for what we're doing. Definitely. And it may just be the push that the dance industry needed to break out of some of those old patterns and models. Is there anything that you want to say to the world, big or small? <laughs> I want to say to the world. Yeah, you know what? It's not big or small. I think uh, we're, we're going to figure this out, and we're probably going to come out in a lot of ways very different uh, than we are now, but at the same time, not at all. I mean, I think all of those little, and that's not even the right word, all those folks we didn't know about, someone who's sitting in Alabama who's got this fantastic studio of 30 dedicated students who's got this way of teaching that no one knows about and doesn't have a sort of pedagogical base in uh, something that came out of New York or Chicago or San Francisco. Someone's going to pop up somewhere. People are going to go, that is amazing. And I didn't know that that was a way to approach that. And they're going to blow up and they're going to be fantastic. And then there's going to be those people who are already huge who are going to be able to stabilize themselves. And there are going to be some of us who, who have to shift what we're doing because because of the changes that are coming about will allow us to do things in the way that we were. There are going to be a lot of changes, but then at base, what we do is a live interaction between human beings, whether people are doing it with us or whether they're watching it. People want to be in the room with us. So if they're on stage, they want to watch you go through the thing and they want to have the risk of your slipping and fall. Have you ever, I mean, if you've, this sounds terrible, but if you've ever been in the audience and watched a dancer slip and fall, the most exciting time during the performance is that moment between when you realize they've slipped, when they've fallen, and when they get up and maybe the next two or three seconds into what they're doing. It's the most live part of the performance. That sounds terrible, but it's real. And the reason that it's exciting is because you don't know what's going to happen. Now, if that happens on the television or on YouTube, you can play it back a million times, but you only get that real feeling live. You only get that real feeling live. And when it happens live, it happens only once. It happens for you in that room at that time. And there are other people around, but they're not sitting exactly where you're sitting. And they don't have exactly the relationship to the music that you have that's being played live. So it's a completely different experience. It's a nuanced experience. It's the experience of someone the difference between your mother or your father taking your hand when you're six or seven and the person you're married to taking your hand when you're 50, that's the difference. It's a live experience. It's not, it's not something you can. And that's why people will go back to the studio. That's why people will go back to the theater. They will understand that what they want is not just what they can see, but what they can actually experience with you. So that's my long-winded last uh, thing to say. Well, Thank you for taking the time to sit down with me. I'll be linking the school district piece. And once it's up, the shoot that you did at Palace of Fine Arts. And best of luck in the future. Great. Thanks. And you too. Hope your podcast just takes off. (laughs) Thanks, Robert. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Have a good one.
Hello everyone, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation and you want more of the Starving Art Podcast, please head on over to Instagram and follow me at starvingartpod, where you can find all of the episodes and exclusive content about the creation of the show. Hope you'll listen. Thanks. Bye.